Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond On a platinum chain In Venice Beach there was a man named Hello and welcome to The Pick Tis the season to talk about Paddington I've got a little special treat for us to start this one off. But first, let me introduce ourselves. Uh, we are Sean Lemmy. John Otney. And Kala Westman. And guys, in honor of Paddington, I'm uh, pulling out one of my old tricks, one of my favorite moves. I have made a marmalade sandwich that I've got <laughs> sitting right in front of me. I've also prepared a cuppa. Uh, so I'm going a full what? British. Just <laughs> a cup of tea. Oh, a, a cuppa? I think that is British slang. Okay. Um, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. I'm gonna dive right into this. Uh, well, wait, wait, hold on, sandwich. hold on. Have you ever had a marmalade sandwich? I've never had this before. I have oh. no idea what to expect. I've had a lot of peanut butter and jelly in my life. Colin, but, have uh, you had a marmalade sandwich? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I is it just is it just marmalade <laughs> in between bread? Um, I looked it up. Apparently, you're supposed to put some butter in there too. So I have yeah. buttered the bread. Okay. That's great. Uh, yeah, I guess that is uh, technically a sandwich. <laughs> not much. To uh, no, there's not. I did. I bought the uh, the uh, Seville orange marmalade too, for what it's worth. Like the it's what it's supposed to be. It's a uh, the legit mm, one. Yeah, it's legit. Like British, like uh, wow. more sour type of orange i guess anyway here i go <laughs> makes for great podcasting yeah <laughs> i'm just visualizing you taking those bites just chewing chewing that bread <laughs> really thinking about it huh yeah yeah, I've had this this flavor somewhere before. It's um, Do you mean the flavor orange? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's um it's a more it's a much more uh sour, maybe a more tart um mm-hmm. flavor uh, certainly than you would uh if you had like an orange jelly. Um and so the I, th- I think the butter really saves this experience. If it was just marmalade and bread, Oh boy! Hold on, let me let me get one more. Mm-hmm. I guess we don't have to be silent while Sean eats the sandwich. We have to be respectful. <laughs> let let Sean eat his sandwich. This is what he wanted to do with his time at the top of the podcast. <laughs> Let's let him let him do it. Yeah, it's just, it's just like um. A much more bitter toast than I've ever had before. I think it would go well with this cup of tea. Or a gray hot. Yeah, <laughs> God. I feel like such an asshole like, drinking up on the mic. It's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. Uh, okay, and uh, I didn't think this through because we do little picks first, and I have to go first on that, so I'm going to well, put my sandwich on. aside. Well, hold on, if you want a minute, if you want a minute. So, marmalade. 
I don't think I've ever had just marmalade and butter as the sandwich, which I guess is the traditional sandwich. I think the reason I grew up not being a huge marmalade fan is because I see jelly. I'm like, well, you got to mix it with peanut butter. That's what it is. It's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I just think marmalade isn't the best choice of jelly or jam for peanut butter. So um, I think that's why I'm not a huge fan. Though I feel like marmalade would go pretty good on a scone the more I think about it. So I feel like it's just about utilizing it to its full potential, and I yeah, haven't that, been doing that. I love this gun idea. That'd make it even more British. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But the sandwiches, I mean, they do look good in the movie. My thing, though, is like, uh, it just needs one extra element for, for like, marmalade and butter just doesn't seem like enough, but maybe it is enough. Yeah. Also, I wholly reject the fact that he seems to be eating it on, like, untoasted wheat bread. Yeah. That seems like a mistake. I, I knew that without having even tasted it. I knew that was a mistake. It just feels like too much bread. I don't know. It's weird. <clears throat> All right. So, yes, more on marmalade. Well, probably not more on marmalade, but more on oh, marmalade. Oh, there'll be more on marmalade. <laughs> Biggest fan, Paddington. As we talk about Paddington and Paddington 2 uh, later in this podcast. But first, we have to do our little picks. And my little pick is a movie much bigger than either Paddington's. Uh, guys, we have to talk about Tenet because it really sucks that... Uh, yeah, it sucks that Tenet came out during, in the middle of a pandemic because uh, Chris Nolan movies are a big deal. Uh, they become part of the culture. And um, there are some parts of Tenet that I think would have made for great memes if more people had been aware of how ridiculous this movie gets at times. Uh, it, but it, it also, I think, was like a pretty appropriate movie for this time we were in because Chris Nolan uh, is obsessed with, with making movies about time. Like I think this most recent trilogy of movies with uh, Interstellar and Dunkirk are all very like time-centric films, uh, but it, it's something that's gone like back through his whole filmography. And uh, this one coming out at a time when like it felt like months were only a few days long, but also like days could be months long. Uh, it's been a, it's been weird, and, and I think it would have been a lot of fun uh, had this had a different impact on the culture as opposed to just being. Uh, the movie Chris Nolan insisted come out in theaters and the movie he insisted people go risk their lives to see, which was really disappointing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that though, I noticed that there is a, uh, opera shooting scene in this movie, which just like uh, in Paddington. <laughs> well, it's just like what happened in real life when the dark Knight rises came out, oh, which man. I thought was like, Maybe this is Christopher Nolan trying to deal with his, the trauma he experienced there. Uh, but the more I think about it, the more I think it was just him trying to work in every part of the Sator Square into the uh, into the movie in some way. Do you guys know what that is? Um, no, I saw a picture of it on Wikipedia, but I don't know what it has, it has to do with the Opera House. So the word tenant comes from the Sator Square, which is a five by five grid of five words. You can read them horizontally or vertically, uh, and backwards and forwards. Oh, uh, now so I remember. Sorry, a palindrome. Going. So it's Sator, Arepo, Tenet, Opera, Rotas. Right. Um, opera being one of the things on the tenant square. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, and uh, 
it's this like people have been trying to decode it as like is it a is it a weird uh, Latin thing? Is it a Christian thing? Is it magic? Um, and I feel like Christopher Nolan found out about if they discovered in the middle of the movie that there's wizards and that it's magic. Yeah, I I feel like that to me was kind of the the disappointment is like Christopher Nolan adopted this symbology and he includes these words. But I think he just like he wanted to make sure that all five of the words are like in the movie and so at some point less than he had to like actually come up with a a meaning for them. Um, also, uh, it's just it's just really dumb, but the action is is great. It's a it's a it's a fun action movie. You just you have to work really hard to turn your brain off because the more people are explaining everything constantly, but the explanations make no goddamn sense. And also, there's like usually explosions happening in the background, so you can't hear them either. It's um, it's overwhelming. You saw this as well, right, John? I did. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the there's like these big expo- exposition dumps, and it's like let's all let's have this conversation next to a plane taking off, <laughs> and there's all these different like accents. Everyone's like whispering. There's like, and I feel like the main character is like pretty like in the loop, like right away. He like he's like he picks it up way quicker than the audience does. So I, mm-hmm. I can't even keep up with him. Like you know, I feel like if he was a little dumber or something. <laughs> yeah, his thing is he's like always outsmarting everybody too. Like he won't yeah. even tell us his name. He's just like I'm the protagonist, the, which is fucking dumb as hell. He's the protagonist. <laughs> yes, it's just true. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I, every once in a while I thought I understood parts of this movie, I'm like, that's pretty smart. But most of the time mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't know what the fuck anyone's doing <laughs> or talking about. But I will say, when you got, okay, backwards fighting, funniest thing ever. And I mean that in a positive way. It is just super entertaining to, to see someone fight someone who's going backwards. I love it. I don't think there's, I'm spoiling too much by saying that there's a battle scene with backwards people and non-backwards people at the same time, and it's a mm-hmm. uh, fucking blast, dude. <laughs> Seeing backwards people and non-backwards people, and I don't know how much is a spoiler, but that there's, there's, there's people in the movie that invert time so that they appear to be going forward, but the world is going backwards. That is such a cool idea that I haven't really seen in a movie. That's the goofiest part of the movie too, because it's like the guy's starting to do it, and then they have this woman explain to him what's going to happen, and she's like, "When you're inverted, things that are hot are going to be cold, and air's going to get sucked out of your lungs instead of going into it." And it's just like all these bizarre like opposites that that make no intuitive sense except for you're going into opposite land. But you're a bizarro man now. But it's cool when you're going to like earlier parts of the movie. So stuff that was weird, like and confusing back then, like makes a little more sense because you're seeing it go from the other, you know, going back through time as opposed to going forward. Um, that stuff is really cool. But I'm, I'm, it's, it's hard for like I can never really like enjoy it because I'm, I'm spending too much time trying to stop it and and think about it and trying to understand it. I think you're right when you say you gotta kind of kind of turn your brain off to just if you just want to enjoy the spectacle of it because if you don't you're gonna be overanalyzing it so much that you're kind of you're gonna be missing some of the the, the visuals. Um, so it's tough yeah. like that. I haven't felt like this since maybe like Donnie Darko, where it's like this movie is so full of ideas that I don't even think it understands, and someone is gonna like write an essay that will make it all make sense to somebody, but. Gosh, I don't even I don't even know what I compare this to. This makes like Inception look like the most basic, easy movie of all time. 
Yeah. I guess it reminds me of like Primer or something. I'm trying to think of other times I've seen a movie where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> but I know it's something cool. Um, yeah. It, but yeah, I think it's there's a lot of cool visuals in it. Um, but it's probably on the lower end of like his filmography for me. Though, to mm-hmm. be fair, like even my least favorite Nolan movie is still like a good movie, which is probably Insomnia. Um, so yeah, it's still fine. It's just, it's just tough. Cause like there was so much mystery behind it and you know, it's, here's this guy out here doing these super expensive, high concept sci-fi movies, you know, something that no one else is doing. So it's hard not to get your hopes up. Yeah. Also, it's a good cast. Um, Kent Branagh makes a really strong case for playing a Bond villain someday because he's basically playing a Bond villain in this. And he's fun to watch. But I thought he was really bad in this movie, <laughs> but I liked him. He's, I mean, it was it was a it was a campy character. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Bond is uh, right. It was, it was I don't know. It was I just I, why can't they get a Russian person to play a Russian person sometimes? <laughs> you know. But yeah. I did uh, really like Robert Pattinson. So did I. And I thought it's so cool that he got to make a movie with Christopher Nolan right before he plays Batman. I know. Isn't that weird? That's super weird. The Batmans. How about that? Yeah. Fuck Batman, though. You know, you're going to drop uh, a, a cool 20 for this movie, Colin? Is that how much it costs? I, you might be able to get it at Redbox <sighs> if, you, if that's something you're interested in. I was too lazy just, to check. I just bought the Blu-ray. Yeah, I don't. I think I bought it. The way you, the way you guys were talking about it, uh, you've got me interested, but I don't. I don't know if it's worth twenty for a movie that it sounds like I'll come away from scratching my head. I mean, Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not like it's going to be on either of our top tens, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, So I guess you can wait. You can wait. You've you've waited this long. You could wait longer. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to finish my marmalade sandwich. Who wants to go next? I'll go next. Uh, so I assume Tenet will eventually show up on HBO someday. Uh, but while you're waiting, let me recommend something else that's on HBO. Um, it's one of my favorite shows this year, and it's called How To with John Wilson. Do you guys know I knew it. I knew it. You knew it. You knew it. Why did you know it, Sean? Because you said we're going to talk about one of my favorite shows mm-hmm. is the, as your little pick. And I was like, what has come out somewhat recently that John be into? And there's a show that exists. It's like a cross-section of Nathan For You and Joe Para Talks At You or whatever that show's called. You know, it's it's <laughs> funny that you mention that because that's exactly what I would... I would definitely bring up that show as one of the, the other things I would compare it to. Um, just because, I don't know, it has that kind of feel-good vibe to it. So How To With John Wilson, if you haven't heard about it. I guess it's kind of a documentary series. It's about this filmmaker named John Wilson. And the whole show is he films it himself. So he holds the camera. So it's all first person. And he narrates while shooting over footage of New York. And he travels. And the episodes are pretty freeform. There's a whole episode that's just about him learning about scaffolding. And like looking mm-hmm. around New York shooting scaffolding. Um, and then sometimes what I love is when the show like starts with kind of a subject. And then totally goes off on tangents like there's one that's called how to perfect how to cook the perfect risotto and then he realizes maybe i can't uh cook the perfect risotto because i have to quit vaping 
And so it becomes about that. And then he tries to quit vaping and he goes on like a trip. And then like COVID happens at the end of that episode. And it's really, it's almost kind of, it's kind of sad. It's, it's interesting. But it's weird. It's like this planet Earth type documentary. If it was just about like New York and all like the weird footage and people he meets in New York, there's like an episode where he meets a guy who's built a device to try to restore his foreskin. It's super disgusting. Uh, but John Wilson, he's just he's super likable. He's he's awkward and he's very nice. And just the footage uh, he finds is amazing. Like New York is a crazy place. Like this is. Uh, just everything he finds. I don't know how they... They must shoot so much. I, I don't think he shoots all of it himself. I think the other people get some second unit stuff. Um, but he shoots most of it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just not... There's not quite anything like it, yet I find it oddly comforting. Um, I loved when he goes to spring break and he gets yelled at by MTV because he's looking the wrong way. Yeah, the and, and then they cut to the, the camera and he's just like staring at it in every shot, like the MTV <laughs> camera. So, so you have good. watched it, Sean? Uh, yeah, just those first two episodes, the uh, small talk and scaffolding. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all good. I would definitely say the last episode is my favorite. The how to cook the perfect risotto. <laughs> that sounds great. great. Yeah. Um, yeah, super relaxing. I have recommended to you too, Colin. All right. Half yeah, it's, it's been on my list of things to catch up with. I, th- I think Vanity Fair put it as their number one show um, of the year. But they had a weird list. I remember one of their picks was NBA Basketball. I was like, okay. I, I guess that's a show. <laughs> it's, on, it's on TV. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Real good. All right. Uh, I guess for my little pick, I'll just recommend an album that I don't think I'm going to catch up with reviewing on the blog because we're getting so close to top tens of the year and it just came mm-hmm. out. It's oh. uh, it's Evermore by uh, oh, yeah. Taylor Swift, yeah, which I, I wasn't really excited for at all because, uh, you know... Like, I liked uh, Folklore a bunch, her album that came out in, I think, late July, because it, it, it really was, like, the first time I, like, really enjoyed a Taylor Swift album. I, I mean, I like some of her other stuff fine, but this one, it, like, you know, <laughs> it was like she made an album for guys like me who were just really into the national, since that one was uh, produced and, like, a lot of it was co-written by Aaron Desner of the of the National, and this one's uh, I don't know. It just sounds like Taylor Swift and Aaron Desner just liked what they were doing on folklore and just wanted to make more of that that same kind of music. And uh, it's like I would say it's almost as good as folklore. I think it's a very uh, solid batch of songs i mean it kind of has the same problem as folklore where there's just there's a few too many songs they could have cut some but whatever taylor swift gets to do whatever she wants to do because she's the biggest pop star uh, but it's I, I would say it's a little more eclectic than folklore i think there's a few more like sort of poppier numbers that kind of harken back to kind of her her pre-folklore uh, albums like 1989 and Lover and stuff but uh yeah it's pretty good it's a nice little companion piece uh 
so yeah there you go (laughs) the last song the title track it has justin vernon but i mean he he was on a song on on the other one too but on this one he he sings it like bony bear instead of like justin vernon so that's cool yeah it goes all like falsetto Mm mm-hmm he does what you want what you want him to do (laughs) uh yeah i was very excited when i got to that part yeah and uh, Matt Berninger from the National shows up as do Heim. You know, yeah, people we like. <laughs> um, at, at the beginning, when you said Evermore, for a split second, I thought you meant Everlast. You guys ever Everlast, the singer? <sighs> you know what it's like. Was he like? Yeah, I think I do. Was he like the main MC in a House of Pain? He sure was. Then, Jump around. Then, then he made like kind of a alternative mainstream hit. Yeah, then he became a douche rock singer. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know it's what like... it's like? <laughs> know what it's like? Yeah. Um, sadly, like I'm Nickelback not... like music. Yeah, I'm not recommending uh, Everlast. Everlast, but maybe someday. Well, he had an album in 2018. He, apparently he's got another another persona called Whitey Ford. Isn't that the name of the baseball player? But anyways, he had an album called <laughs> Whitey right. Ford's House of Pain. Uh, is he bringing both of his worlds together? Wow. I guess we're going to have to listen to it to find out. So check out Everlast, you guys. He's back. <laughs> he never really left. Whitey Ford didn't die until this year. Well, I don't know what the thing. I Can just know. Can you steal a living person? I don't know name? that he stole a persona, but his hit album, like the one that has "What Is Like," is called. The album's called "Whitey Ford Sings the Blues," and then he just recently came out with "Whitey Ford's House of Pain." Oh wait, no, there's another album called Lo- "Love War and the Ghost of Whitey Ford," uh, but that was from 2008. So, and the baseball player Whitey Ford died in October of 2020. So what I'm saying is, could I steal a living baseball player's name if I'm a musician? Could I start? Could I be Andy Pettit's hit machine? <laughs> yeah. The more I think about it, this, is super fucking weird. Can you imagine if you made an album called "Love War and the Ghost of Andy Pettit"? Like, what the <laughs> fuck does that mean? <laughs> that's actually a pretty good album title. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. It actually sounds better than the Whitey Ford one. <laughs> he knows what it's like. Alright. Uh, well, it's good of us to get our America out of our system because we are going hard British for the rest of this podcast. We're going to talk about 2014's Paddington and 2017's Paddington 2. What do you guys know about our friend Paddington Bear? Uh, he's a, nothing. He's a book. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd ever read any of the Paddington books as a child. Because I am not British. Yeah, it seemed like he was way more popular in the UK. I wonder if there's an American equivalent of like a children's character that they just never caught on. I tried to come up with one, and I think Dr. Seuss okay. is close to ha- as big as... Uh, Paddington is in the UK. Um, yeah, like, do British kids even give a shit about the cat in the hat? Probably not. 
They got their no, own maybe they got their Hollywood own, movies. They got their own character wearing a hat. Yeah. So Paddington Bear was created by Michael Bond. Cool name. Uh, oh, a cool who, name. Uh, in the late 50s was looking for a Christmas present for his wife. And at a toy store near Paddington Station, he bought a teddy bear uh, and uh, was, I guess, inspired by that experience and started writing children's books uh, based on this character. Uh, I, I think he is iconic for his costume, which is a, uh, a hat and a raincoat and boots. Not which, to uh, not to derail this already, but yeah. are you guys annoyed that it takes Paddington so long to get his coat? <laughs> well, it's all it's you know it's an origin story. It's about assembling all the pieces. It just feels wrong when I'm watching Paddington without the coat. I just I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, we we don't need to touch on it anymore. It's not a big thing. I'm sorry. Um, sure. Continue. Yeah, so he, uh, on top of the popular books, it was a popular uh, toy, a popular teddy bear starting kind of uh, in the 70s. I think I, I mentioned it was the late 50s that he started writing these books. Yeah. Um, so it's, 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 he's been around for a bit, and uh, he's a big deal. There are the statues of Paddington and stuff in, uh, in the UK. Um, but as far as uh, m- moving to the, uh, the screen, he's... Uh, he starred in many uh, television adaptations, but I could only find one other movie. Um, there's a 1975 stop-motion film called A Bear Called Paddington uh, that I think is literally the only other time people tried to make something feature-length out of this bear. And good luck finding more details on the stop-motion A Bear Called Paddington. That's all I found was a reference to it on the Wikipedia. I was just trying to find out if the Winnie the Pooh guy hated the Paddington guy. <laughs> but the the Winnie the Pooh guy died before the first Paddington book came out, so probably not. <laughs> they seem like they'd be rivals. Just saying. Two British bears? Just saying. I just feel like they're but both Paddington's too, like, dawdling to be enemies. <laughs> I guess. It's hard to see either of them getting into a fight with anyone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, the worst I can imagine is them just having a misunderstanding about something. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> apologizing to each other. And then any of the would be like, you know what would go good with marmalade is honey. That's my, my Winnie the Pooh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Marmalade and honey, mmm. It's a gooey that sandwich. Right. Yeah. yeah, getting gooey here. <laughs> Maybe too gooey. It might just all fall apart. <laughs> uh, you know, I uh, that was a pretty bitter sandwich, given the amount of fruit and sugar. I, I could go for some honey on that. Okay. I'm going to look up recipe. You keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to spend too much on the background of this, because uh, we do have two plots to get through yeah. as quick as possible. Um, but uh, I did want to talk about the director, Paul King, because uh, he made, at least here, two really good movies. Um, it seems like like a lot of these uh, British directors that I end up adoring, uh, he cut his teeth as part of like a comedy group that got a TV show. Um, in this case, Paul King uh, worked as a director on both 
uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and more notably, The Mighty Boosh. Um, two shows that someday I will check out. I about. love Dark Place. I've never watched Mighty Boosh, but Dark Place is very funny. And it's even Richard Iowati even showed up in, in Paddington, too. Mm-hmm. I think Alice Lowe was in one of them as well. So that's cool. Seeing seen funny British people I know showing up in bit parts. That's the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Paddington got him a couple uh, BAFTA nominations. Uh, the movies did well financially. Uh, it seems it seems like they did gangbusters in the UK, and then just everywhere else, people are like, it's fine. Like it, it probably made a tidy profit, but it wasn't a huge global smash, which is probably perfect. I'm sure the people in Britain love that. It's because Paddington doesn't have enough attitude. <laughs> That's why he was never a superstar in America. It's true. Like if they'd um, made a '90s Paddington movie in America, he'd have like a backwards baseball cap. And Americans like, want a movie like Ted. <laughs> He's our Paddington. Oh yeah, hell yeah! You... Ted is the uh, America's Paddington. <laughs> I bet it made more money than Paddington. It was yeah. a pretty big hit. Yeah, it um, got a sequel. I wish I could just look at Paddington's U.S. box office results. <laughs> Paddington U.S. box office. Um, what do we got? 282 million? That's pretty good. Okay, what about Ted? That's true. Ooh, Ted's 549 million. Jesus Christ. Juggernaut. Damn, man. <laughs> Nearly doubled the box office. I will say Paddington did better than Ted do, though. Ted, people lost interest in Ted. <laughs> he was just, he was too much of an asshole. Also interesting, Paddington 2 didn't do as well as Paddington 1 in the United States, so I don't know what the deal is with that. I don't know why Americans can't embrace Paddington. Right. He's too it, nice! It does fly in the face of uh, the idea that people will show up for quality because Paddington 2 famously holds the record for being the movie with the most reviews to remain at 100% on Rotten wow. Tomatoes. Uh, it is still there with 243 reviews. It has maintained a 100%. Uh, in case you were wondering, second place is Leave No Trace uh, with 235 and 100%. And then in third place is Toy Story 2 with 169 reviews that are all positive. Uh, and in looking this up, uh, I went from not caring about this at all to caring about this very much because I read this fact. Uh, Ladybird was far and away the leader in this category for a long time, but one critic, who I will name, Cole Smythe, decided to submit a negative review solely because uh, they did not appreciate the perfect rating that uh, Ladybird had on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, we gotta find. That guy sucks. Yeah, we gotta ruin his life. <laughs> when you Google Cole Smythe. Uh, the the website says Cole Smythe, the smartest film critic in the world. We need to beat the shit out of this person. <laughs> sucks. Lady Bird is amazing. I just think that's and, a super fucking. This dude wears a fucking like pork pie hat. We gotta beat the shit out of this guy. He's a villain. And I just I need to remind people what the Rotten Tomatoes score is. It's the percentage of people who like it. 
so that that hundred percent is an indicator of how likely they think you will actually like the movie. It's not saying it's a perfect movie. It's saying everybody likes it. It's a totally different thing. Yeah, it's different from a movie that everybody loves. (laughs) It's just a movie that's able to get over the, uh, I don't know, the the thumbs up threshold. The Mendoza line of film criticism. (laughs) Cole Smiley needs to visit the House of Pain. I will show him what it's (laughs) like. Let's call our friend Everlast. He's probably on cameo, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Could we ask him to uh, <laughs> to record a death threat? <laughs> Yo, hey, Cole Smiley, this is uh, Everlast. You want to know what it's like for me to beat the shit out of you? I don't really you know guys... anything about the guy. Did you guys see who the uh, number one earner on cameo was this past year? Ooh, wasn't it Kevin from The Office? Yeah, Brian Baumgartner. <laughs> he made like a million bucks. I mean, that's that's one of the, the brilliant things, I think, about being on Cameo, is when you have, play, like, a famous character, and then people can ask you to do your character. I think that's pretty cool. Like, I love shit like that. Like, I don't under, I don't know why anyone would want to be, like, get, like, uh, like, Jeff Gordon to be like, happy birthday. Like, who gives a shit? But to have Kevin give you a happy birthday? Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, Paddington 3 uh, is in development. Uh, it was previously nice. slated to come out in 2021, but now, I mean, who knows? Um, interestingly, just... Paul, King, Paul King's not going to direct it. He said he'll stay involved, but he doesn't want to direct. Oh, that's too bad. It's just nice to see Britain have, like, a big franchise. Like, they just they just don't have that many. They don't have the Harry Potters yeah. anymore. They got James Bond, but, like, it always takes a while to make a James Bond, because you got to... Wrangle Daniel Craig into doing the role again <laughs> against his will, apparently. Yeah, but like, we should give them. We should give him Austin Powers. We should make the gesture. <laughs> I don't know if they'd want it. Wait, we're giving Daniel Craig Austin Powers? No, <laughs> we're giving we're giving the nation of Great Britain Austin Powers. We're giving them permission. They can make their own. They don't need to get Mike Myers. They can cast a British person. They can cast Idris Elba. As the new Austin Powers. Oh, I would love that so much. Does he also play Dr. Evil? <laughs> <laughs> this sounds great. Um, but I'm glad. I There's something I like about big budget British movies. They're just, they're so much more, they're, they're charming. I feel like America's just too rude, man. We're a bunch of rude dudes with attitude. <laughs> It's nice to get these movies that are just nice. Like the like this is what a family film should be, whereas I feel like a family film most of the time in America is something that's a lot it's like fucking minions or something. Yeah. Or Sonic the Hedgehog. Whoa, look at me floss. Whoa, I'm twerking. Yeah, there's so few pop culture references in the Paddington movies, and the ones that are there are so good. Like when uh when Peter Capaldi looks at um, uh, Nicole Kidman for the first time, and they play Lionel Richie's "Hello," like that's great. And that's not for the kids. That's just a good use of a popular song. I love how in the first Paddington it opens with that uh, footage of the Explorer, and it looks like really old, like black and white silent movie footage. And that kind of gives the whole experience like a timelessness because you're not sure how far that is supposed to be from like where we are after that, you know? 
Yeah. It's really hard to tell. It's like the prison in Paddington 2 does not look like a modern prison. No. <laughs> uh, I guess it's just, you know, Magical Mystery London. Who knows when it is? I like that. Magical Mystery. Yeah. No, I like it when you can give movies a timeless feel like that. Because then they, you know, they won't wear out. Mm-hmm. They'll be timeless. Uh, also, you bring up that... Um, that like archive footage thing at the beginning. I love the explanation for the names of Paddington's aunt and uncle, where they say the explorer named the female bear after his beloved mother Lucy, and the male bear Pastuzo after an exotic boxer he met in a bar. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And he taught them things and gave them <laughs> culture, I guess. Yeah, but it, um, it's not like a it's not like a colonization thing though, because they make it very clear that the bears no, are like already intelligent. This isn't any Babar shit. Yeah, <laughs> fuck Babar. Get that Babar shit out of here. No, this is good natured stuff, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And it comes back; it ruins his life later, I guess. Or I guess it doesn't really ruin his life. It ruins Nicole Kidman's future. Also, if anyone is curious, there are bears in Peru. It isn't just like some funny thing they made up. There are bears in Peru. Yeah, I looked that up. There was uh, originally it was going to be he was Paddington was going to be from Darkest Africa, but Whoa. the publisher was like, "Hey, there aren't bears in anywhere on the continent of Africa," <laughs> and so he he just moved it to Peru. And yeah, the crisis I'm glad. was avoided. Yeah, because, you know, I, I don't know. No, I'm not, I won't get into it. I've heard some questionable things about some of the Tintin uh, books that are, like, Africa <laughs> and stuff. But that's not even British. But, like, I feel like the Europeans' history with um, being culturally inappropriate is a little different from ours. Theirs is a little less... I don't know if it's less bad. I, I'm not going to get into it. We don't need to get into that on Paddington. We don't need to get into colonization. Yeah. <laughs> Colonization's <laughs> not great. Uh, empires are not cool. The imperial mindset is shitty. Um, so, yeah. So, this explorer is in uh, darkest Peru. He meets these intelligent bears. He teaches them English. Uh, he tells them about uh, marmalade, which they immediately love. It's, like, immediately their favorite food. Is marmalade uh, just that popular in the UK? I I guess it's just like it's a it's a British thing. It's like you couldn't make fish and chips. That's too complicated. Okay. I'm trying to think if the American equivalent would be like I I give you a jar of peanut butter. I guess Pro- probably that's probably <laughs> like a peanut butter and jelly is not like a thing in the UK. So that's why hmm. I think it's equivalent. Sorry, I, I want to talk about my uh, <laughs> talk experience about marmalade. Where... Where uh, everyone says American food is too fucking sweet for the rest of the world. That certainly is the case. If you're coming from a marmalade sandwich and then you eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich, you probably would be pretty overwhelmed. Uh, Maybe. So uh, the years pass and uh, the, uh, the, the couple of bears have become old and they've adopted a, a, a cub. And, uh, and I should mention that the aunt and uncle are played by Michael Gambon and Imelda Staunton, a.k.a. two of the headmasters of uh, Hogwarts. Uh, that's cool. If only they could have gotten Alan Rickman in there. It could have been three out of three on your, uh, your headmasters. 
but uh, sadly wasn't wasn't meant to be. Although that's that's all the bear characters, so they just couldn't fit it in. Do you guys think it's weird there are no other talking animals in this movie? Um. Let me rephrase that. Do you think it's weird that people don't think it's that weird that Patty can can talk, and yet there are no other talking animals in this movie? Okay, yeah, that is weird. Because every once in a while I wasn't sure. It's like, so how comfortable are people with talking bears? Is that like a thing in this world? Because sometimes people are like, what, a bear? And then sometimes people just kind of walk by and like, oh, yeah, just some of those talking bear guys. Like, (laughs) It's kind of hard to gauge like how normal this is. It was weird, but I didn't. I'd rather like they just kind of not go into it, as opposed to like people screaming every time they saw Paddington. And just have to dress <laughs> yeah. him up all the time. So that actually sounds kind of good too. Yeah, yeah, probably get exhausting. Um, so uh, in kind of a weird move for this like very pleasant movie, they have a horrific disaster sequence that kills Uncle Pastuzo. Um, I mean, they do it tastily where they just, they find his hat, um, which is how Paddington gets the hat. But, uh, I mean, to me, it feels like the, the, like killing Superman's dad thing where it's like, I'm pretty sure in the books, this guy's just alive. I don't know why in the movie, they also have to kill a dad. Uh, I don't know. Gotta have a little bit of everything. Gotta teach kids about death. (laughs) <laughs> gotta they gotta know man and um, again they don't kill the bad guys in these movies which we can talk no. about in a bit i love the outcomes for the bad guys yeah uh but I, let me let me get to the browns first then we can talk about the bad guys um so paddington uh and his aunt lucy decide um to go to london and then at the last second aunt lucy reveals that paddington's going alone and uh, she's going to go to the home for retired bears, which I thought was cute because it's like then you don't have to worry about Aunt Lucy. At least she'll be fine. <laughs> um, so Paddington, with the assistance of apparently like five hundred jars of marmalade, uh, sails from Peru to London, and ends up at Paddington Station, which is where he gets his name, but also where he meets the Browns, including my man. Hugh Bonneville as Mr. Brown. Our first, first repeat actor. Yeah, our first actor on this podcast to be in three different movies. Uh, and I was worried that um, it was going to kind of feel like, I don't know, a letdown because, I mean, Hugh Bonneville, I mean, he's notable for Downton Abbey, but he's not like the biggest film star. And the first movie that we did with him, like, he's barely even in it. Mm-hmm. But man did he deliver in these movies he's my favorite part of both movies he's very funny uh he he plays this kind of uh stern but lovable kind of asshole character that is just it's just perfect to end up in these zany situations and i love how in all the flashbacks he's always like he used to be like super cool he used to be so cool (laughs) he used to have like long flowing hair and basically be like a hippie biker and now he's just like some uptight prude it's like how did this happen like i know he had kids but it's just it's wild he oh i love that scene too where yeah. he he goes to 
the hospital with his pregnant wife, like riding a motorcycle, like in a leather jacket. And then the baby's born and they're coming out. And he's like, stand back, there's a baby. He's just like totally out of personality change. And like, kids. he gets to do a lot of stuff. Like there's that great scene later in this movie where he like dresses up like a woman and mm-hmm. has to pretend to be someone else. Like, uh, yeah, he nails it. He nails the broad stuff and like the more serious stuff is good. I would say the biggest laugh for me in both films is the callback to his yoga lessons during the train chase in Paddington 2, where he ends up doing like the Jean-Claude Van Damme splits between two trees. That's excellent, because that's not something I would ever ex- imagine Hugh Bonneville doing. <laughs> it's a real treat. Um, so that's him. The mom is Sally Hawkins. Uh, she's Mrs. Brown. Uh, in this movie, we find out that she is a um, illustrator, and then in the second movie, we find out she's working on um, being able to swim there and back from the uh, uh, from the across the English Channel from the UK to France. Uh, and I think it is an interesting bit of trivia that Sally Hawkins is not in one but two different movies where a bathroom gets filled up with water. Oh, yeah. And she's charming in both of them. She's so charming and lovable. And she's and she can hold her breath for a long time in both of them now that I think I of guess it. so. She's just really Although, good at water uh, stunts. Kate Winslet has apparently taken the throne. Huh? The throne uh, yeah, right? she's like, can't she like hold her breath for like half an hour or something? She's like, set of Avatar too. <laughs> my, my favorite news story of the year was Kate Winslet posting that picture of herself deep underwater with a cape on the set of Avatar 2 saying she had to learn to hold her breath for like a half an hour to make this entirely CG movie for some reason. That's some good shit. God, that's gonna be the, isn't that going to be the greatest movie of all time? You guys, Avatar 2? <laughs> it's been so long. We're at 11 years since Avatar now, right? Yeah, I mean, I was just joking recently um, that uh, we just passed one of its uh, original release dates. Avatar 2 supposed to at one point it's supposed to come out December 18th uh 2020 so oh my god I'm just going to keep bumping it keep bumping it it's too, Well no it's they're not they filmed it right it's done being filmed I don't know I no, feel like they've been the saying that for a decade <laughs> I don't know it it must be but they have to perfect all of technology um the other members of the Brown family, they have a, a daughter named Judy, uh, a son named Jonathan, uh, and a housekeeper named Mrs. Bird, uh, who I appreciate because she, uh, her the, the talent she seems to bring to the group is she's good at drinking a lot, which is a tough thing to like work into a kid's movie, but I think it does work in these two. Uh, I wonder if that's even from the books or if they that's a quirk they made up for for these films. But oh, I, I didn't ask like about that. So the Brown books. family are de- are definitely in the books at least, the the main yep. family. Okay. Wasn't sure. Yeah, and that's uh we're kind of testing the limits of my uh Paddington Bear knowledge because I did not choose to read any of the books. Although it is fun to read stuff like it took 10 days to write the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> well, are those are those picture books? Are they chapter books? I think they're picture books. Oh God, are they chapter books? No, they must, be, they must be picture books. Um, I'm gonna look up the original book from what was it, 1958? Looks like. 
just gonna click some images. What do we got here? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Feeling like an idiot. Don't know. What if I say how many pages? How many pages? Make an add this to my my Christmas. It looks like 176. This must be like yeah, a chapter. It looks book. like a, a book. It's a book of short stories. It looks like. Oh, so it's like Jungle Book. That's it. That short stories. I read most of it. And hey, looking at this, it sounds like there's some like uh, some overlap. You know, a bear called Paddington. The first story: the Browns meet Paddington at Paddington Station. This is the second short story: a bear in hot water. Paddington's first attempt at having a bath is a disaster. You know. It's oh, I a, thought you meant Overlook. Uh, the Jungle Book crossed over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paddington. Paddington is taken to the village and sees bears just like him and walks away, leaving the Browns alone but proud. Um, fights those birds who talk like the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, very well, vague. What do you want to do? Yeah, there's like some vultures. Know, what do you want to there's do? some vultures in the jungle book that were like they were supposed to be the Beatles, but then uh, someone's like, "No, nah, let's not do this." But they still kind of <laughs> talk like the Beatles. It's really distracting. Like they were and really like they dumb. were trying to get the Beatles to actually voice these characters. I can't remember why. Hopefully, this is in Peter Jackson's documentary. I can't remember why <laughs> they didn't end up doing it. I'll I'll find that out later. One of my favorite bits of Beatles lore is that they were going to make a Lord of the Rings movie starring the Beatles. <laughs> I know, I and it's and it's not yet. like they were going to necessarily be the all hobbits, right? Wasn't it going to be? Yeah, I think so. I think one of them was going to be Gandalf. <laughs> Which is super fucking weird. It would have been pretty bad. I mean, I yeah, like it sounds terrible. There's something about that with uh, the the like the the first animated Lord of the Rings movie too. Like, like Mick Jagger was almost in it or something. Mm-hmm. Like rock and roll people were trying to make that happen for such a long time. Yeah. Led Zeppelin was really into. Yeah, Led Zeppelin Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys want to hear the... It's like a paragraph. It's a little long, but do you guys want to hear the full story of the vultures in the Jungle Book? Sure. Okay. The vultures were originally going to be voiced by the Beatles. The band's manager, Brian Epstein, approached the Disney Studios about having the Beatles appear in the film. And Disney had his animators create uh, vultures specifically to be voiced by the band. But when Epstein took the idea to the Beatles, John Lennon vetoed the idea and told Epstein to tell Disney he should hire Elvis Presley instead. <laughs> Look at the vultures with their mop top haircuts and Liverpool voices are a homage to the Beatles. One bird's voice and features are clearly based on George Harrison's. When the Beatles departed the project, the song was rewritten as a barbershop quartet to make it timeless and timeless. It was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sounds like John still... Lennon was like, no, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. Um, nice. It's just funny that people thought that barbershop music would be more timeless than the Beatles. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. We're, we're still listening to those barbershop hits. On Moonlight Bay. <laughs> Kids love that song. <laughs> This is our, our official British pop culture uh, podcast episode. We've already talked sure. about Lord of the Rings, The Beatles, Winnie the Pooh, Jungle Book, and Paddington. It's 
keep it going, guys. Let's keep it going. We'll be talking about Blackadder in no time. <laughs> no, let's talk about someone who's not uh, British at all, <gasps> as far as I know. Nicole Kidman. Uh, so while, uh, while Paddington is getting his name and befriending the Browns, we're also following Millicent Clyde, a taxidermist at, I guess, like a museum, who really wants to capture Paddington for some reason that we find out later. And she is having a lot of fun in this role. At least it seems like it. Maybe she was miserable. Who am I to know what her experience was like on this film? Uh, But I liked her a lot. Uh, Although I would say she is the lesser of the two villains between these two movies. And did you see who played her assistant? don't remember her having an assistant yeah it's the guy uh Van novak from what we do in the shadows you don't remember the guy that was helping her I, he's I only, in like, only in like one at scene. all grant the animal <laughs> supplier is his, i think he's only in one scene but nandor of course is in this movie nandor oh, okay before he grew his hair out because he is a british man oh it's another person doing a uh deceptive accent just like her a lot of deceptive accents yeah yeah it's funny funny shit dark too taxidermy is fucking dark shit man yeah she's straight up trying to kill paddington (laughs) that's pretty scary that is pretty scary it's yeah uh, but i guess if kids can deal with it in the dalmatians movies they can deal with it in this He's got to learn about death, you guys. <laughs> it's the main thing they need to know it's about. The main thing they need to know is that you are born and then you die. <laughs> then you're gone forever. Um, yeah, we find out later that she's the secret daughter of that explorer. And that he had been uh, excommunicated from his geographer's guild uh, for not revealing or, or bringing back one of the bears. Uh, from darkest Peru. So in protecting uh, Paddington's family, he lost his place in the uh, Geographer's Guild. Ended up opening a petting farm. Which is funny because that ends up being Millicent's punishment from the uh, profoundly corrupt court system at the end of this movie. Which we get into more. Did they say why she strayed so far from his ideals? Why she like wanted him to do taxidermy yeah. and stuff. But uh, she does some goofy things. There's some slapstick stuff. There's a scene where she, uh, Mission Impossible style, like descends from the ceiling of the Browns' home to try to kill Paddington. Or tranquilize him. She'll kill him later. Uh, so it's good. There's a lot of slapstick in this movie. So, I mean, Paddington's thing is uh, he's very polite. Uh, I think it's a, a really good performance from Ben Wishaw as, I presume, just the voice. I don't think there's any motion capture he's doing. Um, but he's very polite. He's very nice. And also, he is uh, prone to causing disasters. Uh, like, for example, when he floods the entire bathroom, just trying to, like, wash himself. Yeah, no, I think Ben Wishaw was a really good choice because he, there's a, I think because he's slightly younger than for the original choice, which we talk about, he's got like a childlike innocence to the way he talks, just the way he does the character. 
Um, of course, Colin Firth famously originally cast as Paddington, and then seemed like kind of I feel like dropped out like the last second or something. I don't I don't remember what happened exactly, but uh, I feel like Colin Firth w- he wouldn't have been he would I feel like he would have been a little too annoying, and also he's too similar to Hugh Bonneville. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he also kind of seems a little too old. Like you, because I kind of look at Paddington as a child, you know, like like yeah. another one of uh, the family's children. I feel the same way. He's like because he's small. He's like a little cub, basically. Yeah, and he's you know not not that smart and not that wise to the ways of the world, like a child. I was worried going into Paddington that I would find Paddington annoying because he's so naive. But I don't feel that way. And I don't know how they pulled it off to where you're just like, oh, poor old guy. It just, he's just so positive. Mm-hmm. You can't dislike him. It's illegal. It's illegal. To, yeah, you appreciate you go to jail. They'll throw you into prison for anything. And, and, and not, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into the corruption of the, the legal system later. Uh, yeah, so uh, I love the uh, the sequence we we kind of touched on before, where they're looking for clues. Um, they end up going to the geographers' guild, where they pretend um, pretend they don't know anything about Darkest Peru, and so they have to sneak back in to get the file for themselves. And what they do is they dress up Mister Brown as a maid, uh, and that introduces us to a terrific recurring character who is called Barry, the security guard, a.k.a. the super horny security guard. Uh, and it's a simple joke. I mean, it, it's... it's Mrs. Doubtfire did this with the bus driver, where it's just like, it's just funny that this guy is super attracted to what is obviously a man in drag who's like not even trying a little bit to pass himself off as woman. But... <laughs> The fact that they did it twice really works for me, and even even the one time, I was laughing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend I'm above this. It's no, just it was, good it was, humor. It was a good bit. I agree. Also surprising to hear the word like like uh, hear a word like sexy. <laughs> when uh, when Mr. Brown runs away, the security guard yells, "Stop that sexy woman!" Kids don't just, know about sex, John. <laughs> I didn't realize Paddington was teaching kids everything they need to know to it make them It teaches them everything they know, but they are afraid to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the end of the movie is that uh, at um, after Millicent captures uh, Paddington, the Browns get together to rescue him, and uh, once again, Mister Brown steps up and gets to be heroic. But the whole family helps, and it's great, and it's very heartwarming. Yeah. Makes so you feel ready all to gooey. Talk. It does. Like, like marmalade. Marmalade. Are you guys ready to talk Paddington 2? Yes, this is the one I remember slightly better. <laughs> so, some time has passed, and Paddington wants to get a present, because Aunt Lucy's 100th birthday is coming up. And he thinks he's found the perfect gift at the uh, antique shop that belongs to Jim Broadbent, who is called Mr. Gruber in this. Uh, 
Mr. Gruber had recently acquired a bunch of antiques, and one of the ones he has is this ancient pop-up book of all the sites in London. Uh, and because it is unique, it is expensive, but um, Paddington promises he's going to save up the money and buy it. Uh, and so he starts taking some odd jobs, like he gets a, a job at a barber shop that goes about as well as you'd imagine knowing Paddington. Not well. Uh. <laughs> I love that they made this guy a recurring character. He was uh, the, very funny. He was very. Uh, he was not having a good time. Uh oh! Did we lose John? Hello. Hello, John. Did you hear me? You said he was very funny, and then you cut off for me. Yeah. He, oh no. Uh, yeah, that's good. You can just keep that. I don't really add much <laughs> after that. As long as it's recorded. Yeah, it's you know uh, it's nice to have one character who's justified for for hating Paddington, uh, unlike the other villains who um, are just bad. They're just bad people. <laughs> this one guy is just in an unfortunate situation, um, and, and I would say it's a testament to the writing of these movies. These are pretty tight screenplays. They set things up and pay them off, and they don't waste your time. And and like I said, they don't have dumb modern pop culture references that'll instantly become dated and embarrassing they're 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 good movies and this and that's not to to undersell the directing either i think um i think paul king wears his influences on his sleeves like there's there's a lot of where it's like yeah he's doing wes anderson for kids or terry gilliam for kids or or mission impossible for kids um but that's not that's not a knock against him it's it makes the movie appealing. Yeah, definitely. I just found a fun fact that fucking blew my mind. All right. <laughs> the guy got... who plays the security guard in both movies, the actor's name is Simon <laughs> Farnaby. I didn't realize uh-huh. he co-wrote the second Paddington movie. Oh, so he <laughs> rubbed himself King. back in. Yeah, that's weird because he just seems like some, some rando guy that shows up. <laughs> But he's, he's all, great. He's the, he's the co-writer of one of the greatest movies of all time, I guess. <laughs> I look forward to seeing how they work him into whatever the third one ends up being about. Ooh, where would Paddington go? I feel like Paddington's got to go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> we can speculate on our Paddington fan cast. Yeah. Um. God, so. <laughs> Never. Um, so Paddington has, in in the time that's passed, become a beloved part of the community. We see that he uh, is making everybody's lives better, uh, and that includes uh, the job he ends up uh, making most of his money doing, which is washing windows. Uh, which I love because for some reason his ladder like folds up into a suitcase. And it's adorable to watch him walk around with a suitcase, and it's like a funny, whimsical thing that he has such a long ladder, and he has to like use his face to wipe the windows off. It's great. I'm, I'm all in on this. I have no idea if this is from the books or if there's something invented for the movies, but I love watching him wash those windows. It's very cute. It's very adorable and clever. I like it. It's fun for the whole family. <laughs> um. And uh, in the middle of all this, the family goes to a carnival uh, where they get to see a performance 
from disgraced actor Phoenix Buchanan, uh, who is played by Hugh Grant, who is so good in this. <laughs> he steals the franchise. He's amazing. I don't think I've ever loved Hugh Grant as much as I love him in this movie. It's fantastic. Um, this Phoenix Buchanan character, just uh, for people who haven't seen it, I guess, or to remind you guys, uh, he uh, has achieved much acclaim but is in a career uh, downward spiral, having recently appeared in dog food commercials where he has to dress up like a dog and apparently eat the dog food. <laughs> um, uh, and and it seems like it's not because he's unpopular, it's because his ego has grown so large that he believes he's not. it's not worth his time to act with any other actors. He's so much better than everyone else. He wants to play all the parts in anything he's in going forward. <laughs> Um, and so the scheme that he's come up with is to get rich and then he can finance his own projects. And, um, when Paddington mentions that pop-up book, he somehow is aware that that is related to the history of someone who used to perform at this very carnival, uh, who had written down secret clues in that long lost pop-up book that will, uh, lead the finder to her, uh, this person's secret stash of uh, jewelry that people gave to them. Uh, so untold riches await those who have possession of the pop-up book and are able to put together all the clues. Didn't see that coming, did you? No. Man. <laughs> um... So, uh, what Phoenix does is he dresses up as a um, old man and breaks into the uh, antiques shop. Uh, and fortunately, or unfortunately in this case, Paddington was cleaning the windows of that very same shop uh, at this time. So, he pursues Phoenix, who has stolen the book, and uh, because of his background in, I guess, also magic, he's able to uh, disappear in a puff of smoke just when the police arrive. And the police arrest Paddington. And this is some fucked up shit. Because first of all, uh, Mr. Gruber, the owner of the antique store, has says he does not suspect Paddington stole anything. He does not want to press charges. Second of all, the police have no evidence that Paddington did anything because Paddington literally was never in possession of the book. Uh, but nonetheless, because the judge hates Paddington so Fair much, racism. He gets sentenced to prison. I wonder how long. It's, <laughs> it's pretty fun. I mean, people talk about that there is a, like, a political aspect to the Paddington movies. And I think that's mostly focused on the fact that it's about an immigrant technically. Um, but, but there's, they're showing how an immigrant is uh, a positive influence on the community, you know, at a time when, when the UK is going through Brexit, uh, when they're very much choosing to not be welcoming towards, uh, anyone who is not, uh, the, the racist definition of British. Um, but also, it's an, I guess they're they're touching on another part of the uh, minority experience here by uh, by showing how this uh, this immigrant who is uh, not the same species 
as the rest of the characters in the movie gets a real shitty treatment at the at the hands of the law here and the force to the point where he's forced to take the law to his own hands by the end uh, oh, yeah. again that's just one it's just one of those things those kids need to know about <laughs> it's teaching kids taking the law in your own lessons. hands do you know about what it's like to go to jail <laughs> <laughs> This is the part that uh, I was super stoked for. Is like I'm a big fan of prison movies, and this is a pretty <laughs> solid prison movie. <laughs> yep. So the first thing Paddington is assigned to do is to do apparently 100 percent of the laundry in the entire prison. I have no idea what people were wearing while he was doing the laundry. Yeah, they just—they're all nude, and then they just throw all their <laughs> their prison uniforms down a chute. Down a big chute. Um, but what is it? Is it his, is it his hat gets in with the laundry? I thought it was a sock. Just a, just a sock. Maybe it, was, maybe it was his hat. Cause just a well, I don't know. something that doesn't make sense gets in with one of the loads of laundry, but yeah. somehow infects literally all the laundry, so that for the rest of the movie, all the prisoners are wearing pink prison uniforms, which is great. It's a great touch. It, it makes it look like a musical all the time. <laughs> Um, so he's already unpopular, and then uh, at uh, at prison lunch, when everyone gets together in the cafeteria to eat lunch together, um, he speaks out against the quality of the food, and this attracts the ire of the meanest prisoner, the chef Knuckles, which is a Sonic character name, but in this case, it's Brendan Gleeson's name. Who is also so many Harry great. Potter people in this movie? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but it, you know, Brendan Gleeson is always a treat. Uh, but it's nice. To, it's nice for kids to have access to more Brendan Gleeson stories, and and he does not disappoint in this role as the meanest guy in prison who also loves marmalade and bacon. Just so much, he loves bacon. Uh yeah, why did so? How did he get? How was? Why was he the chef? Is it because it was an easy job? Because he could just like sit back and like chill out as he made his shitty gruel or whatever all the time. I, I think I I want to say it's because he loves to cook. He's embarrassed to admit it. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. his passion. I feel like it's a thing where he just volunteered to be the head cook, and even though everyone hates his food, he's so tough and so intimidating that he's just been. <laughs> deemed head cook for life basically he runs the kitchen like a dictatorship basically hell yeah so he's about to fucking kill Paddington (laughs) but uh, Paddington lives by uh, one of Uncle Pastuso's hard and fast rules which is keep a marmalade sandwich under your hat for emergencies (laughs) Uh, and this is that emergency, so he yanks his hat out and shoves it in Knuckles' mouth. And uh, it's like that moment in Ratatouille, where like his eyes go wide and he's transported back in time to a happier place. Um, and Knuckles insists that Paddington teach him how to make that marmalade. There's an adorable marmalade cooking sequence, and um, this leads to... Uh, everyone in the prison loving the marmalade and then volunteering their own uh, baking recipes 
and suddenly the prison turns into basically a like a joyful Parisian cafe. It's just great. I love that everyone knows how to make like the fanciest desserts too. It's all like really <laughs> extravagant gourmet stuff. Very high end. Yeah, and then there's like flowers all around the prison. Everybody's loving it. It's a whimsical place. All thanks to marmalade. All thanks to that marmalade. Uh, meanwhile, the Browns are putting the clues together, and they eventually become suspicious of uh, Phoenix, which leads to a scene I really enjoyed, where Mr. and Mrs. Brown sneak into Phoenix's house while he's out. Um, and then Phoenix comes back, and they have to try to pass off why they're in the house. And they come up with this absurd lie about, like, a, it's like a safety inspection. It's a good farce scene, is what I'm saying. A good farce. That's what the, the Brits do best. I don't remember the scene very well, but I'm sure it was amazing. <laughs> um, but they're so busy doing this, they miss um, the once-a-month visiting day at the prison. No. So Paddington feels like he's been abandoned and decides to escape when he finds out that Knuckles and the others are gonna fly away in a hot air balloon <laughs> of course perfect plan um so there's a, a sweet prison escape sequence and they fly out of the prison but paddington decides not to leave the country with the rest of them uh instead he calls the browns uh who uh who pick up just in time and uh tell paddington to meet them at paddington station because Phoenix has been busy putting together all the clues, and he's going to uh, to get on the uh, the carnival train, for lack of a better term, uh, and uh, and and get his riches. And they gotta stop him before he gets out of town. Um, and I love this sequence uh, because it shows off all the skills of the Browns that they've been developing uh, throughout the movie. Um, it's like Judy, the daughter. Uh, early on, they're talking about how she had like started her own paper, and in this, she uh, she used her photography skills to get the evidence necessary to get uh, Buchanan thrown in jail. And uh, Jonathan, the son, who's like super embarrassed about his train hobby, is able to drive the trains because he has those skills, and now he's like proud of it. And uh, and uh, like I mentioned earlier, Mister Brown has been doing yoga, so he's able to do Jean Claude Van Damme splits. Uh, and like John mentioned, in the past he used to be super cool, so he's good at throwing coconuts, which also comes Because <laughs> I think that's another British thing, is like, they have that thing where you throw stuff at cans and knock them over to win prizes at carnivals, but I guess instead of balls, they're coconuts for some reason. Um, even Phoenix gets to show off his skills, because he, he's a trained uh, stage combat fighter, so he's able to fight off Mrs. Bird. Uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's a fun sequence uh, that also ends in a surprisingly scary place. Uh, the train ends up uh, decoupling the uh, caboose and it flies off into the water and uh, Paddington is stuck inside that last car. He can't get out. And so uh, Mrs. Bird, who has been training to swim the English Channel, is able to hold her breath and swim down there. But she's not able to get Paddington out. 
and there's a moment where they look at each other's eyes and and are like accepting like it's really sad but paddington you're gonna die here you're gonna drown there's nothing we can do about it uh it's just a moment but i'm surprised they had the courage to put that in a kid's movie uh kids need to know about fear (laughs) uh yeah i guess at the time i forgot about (laughs) that they were trying to teach kids all these important lessons with this movie yeah um but fortunately, that's when Knuckles and the others dive into the water. Having changed their mind, they've come back to save Paddington. And they're able to pry him out. Um, but uh, but the, the poor boy is sick. He's in a coma. Uh, and he wakes up a few days later and finds out that uh, he's been exonerated. And Buchanan has been uh, arrested, thanks to Judy's evidence. Um, but uh, the book was lost. So he's sad that he doesn't have a present for Aunt Lucy's birthday until they tell him to check at the door. And who is it? It's Aunt Lucy. Everybody's crying at this part, right? Were you guys crying? Pretty much. <laughs> sure. <laughs> of course, Colin wasn't crying. He has a cold heart. He's like Mr. <laughs> yeah. Freeze. I don't know. Doesn't even know. He doesn't even know what emotions are. <laughs> it was a good moment. I just didn't cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's it's very sweet and uh and the movie wraps up there with them getting to explore london but it's not the last thing we see the last thing we see is knuckles getting his or uh well no knuckles is fine he opens up a restaurant uh it's phoenix buchanan getting his uh prison sentence and then we get to see what it's like in prison, and it, things are still great in that prison. They've ha- the Paddington effect has maintained, and so what we see is uh, Phoenix leading the entire prison in a rendition of "Rain on the Roof," a song from the musical Follies, which is incredible. It's so funny. It's so over the top. I love it so much. It's, it's pretty just, elaborate for so, like a po- like a mid credit <laughs> sequence. Yeah, something that takes up half the screen. Because I was the pretty. Im- are I was gone. pretty impressed. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah, that's what I kind of like in these movies. That like, it's weird. Even though these bad guys are like pieces of shit, for some reason I don't want them to like die. It's, or, you know, it's like I want them to. Fi- I want them to like just kind of learn their lesson and and you know. Hopefully they can learn to be better people, and that's kind of what happens in, in both. More so in, in both this. of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, well, Fe- yeah. And first, Phoenix is like he's really found like his true calling is to do these prison musicals. So he feels like a true artist. So. I love even the uh, at the sentencing, the judge is like, not only have you wrote, committed a lot of crimes, you've disgraced the honorable profession of acting, <laughs> and Phoenix looks like genuinely ashamed, like he can't believe he did it. It's great. great. It's great. So yeah, I I, I couldn't. Uh, you know, I normally in my notes like try to come up with some like discussion points, but I couldn't come up with anything really to criticize or, or to point out to you guys. I just thought it was a, two very adorably pleasant movies to watch. But is Paddington Two the greatest movie of all time? <laughs> I feel like everyone says it is. Again, by that metric of. I can't find anything wrong with it, so I would I would include myself in the 100% of people who would be positive about it. Sure. Yeah, I can't find anything wrong with it either. It just, you know. It's like but a I'm good... not calling it... Yeah. 
perfect. You know, I'm not calling it the platonic ideal of what a film can be. There's definitely like moments in each movie where I was, I was still having a good time, but I wasn't as invested in this one i wasn't in 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 paddington 2 i didn't really care about the family searching going you know trying to figure out the mystery as much as i was invested in the prison um i mean that's still all good stuff i'm just if i have to find anything (laughs) uh to criticize um but no i mean it's solid what's not to like about paddington and i'm sure paddington 3 will win every award and be the greatest movie of all time especially you guys they follow my idea of paddington goes to new york <sighs> still seems so wrong to me and then meets like all can you imagine all the famous new yorkers he'll get to meet it's just it's like just, kermit the frog there's way too many mean people in new york though <laughs> there's cool people what if paddington met uh david byrne oh david byrne <laughs> Yeah. giant suits together no, he's, he's definitely seems like one of the nicer new yorkers <laughs> he also has a childlike whimsy to him like david burns <laughs> sees paddington's hat and then he gets a hat he gets like a matching big hat yeah no that, it just keeps growing the whole movie that makes sense um um who else can you meet you can meet the beastie boys yeah <laughs> Good stuff. Al Roker. It. Sure. Al Roker. Oh, Al Roker's a great choice. Paddington gets to do the weather. Yeah. Brad to bring a coat. Oh, he's got a coat. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great, this movie writes itself. You just got to fill it with cameos. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the problem with American movies. Yeah. You know, they, they figure kids uh, have a short attention span, so you got to give them too much. You got a visual overload of, of references and things they You got to give them celebrities that, at this point, their parents are only sort of aware of. <laughs> because, like, you kidding me? Al Roker and David Byrne? That's always weird to me. This isn't quite the same thing, but when you get, like, animated movies, when they, like, let's like, say the Angry Birds movies, and they're like, they show you, like, the vocal cast as, like, Danny McBride! <laughs> Like, who's that for? Is that to get you and me to see, like, uh, like 30-something-year-old guys to go see the movie? Or is that for parents? Like, do parents care about Danny McBride? Maybe it's just to get people who are famous, but not super expensive. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're necessarily no. trying to rope people into theaters with the voice cast. But maybe it's just like, maybe maybe they can get a few that are intrigued by Danny McBride in a Angry Birds movie. So it all goes back to Robin Williams in Aladdin, right? That was like yes, it does go back to that. You're right, yeah. And what did that do? That was like the kids didn't care. I don't think the kids cared about Robin Williams. They just liked to funny character i, I so guess that that's I, for the adults it was right? yeah it was to legitimize mm-hmm. like this isn't just a kids movie look with this is a genuine like a-list celebrity in it this is like a real movie for like everyone this isn't just for babies i think that's it it's just it's so this just to show that the shit isn't just for babies yeah and then for 28 years since then they've just been doing that same <laughs> bit and hoping it would keep working I do appreciate that Paddington... It, I mean, it has a lot of notable British people, but I don't know that it has any really distracting, like, celebrity appearances in it. 
I feel like if this movie was made in America, it would star Ryan Reynolds for sure, and might have a lot more. Like yeah. Shaq would show up. I would say like the most distracting for me was seeing Richard Iowate because he's just in there for that one scene. So yeah. it definitely like feels like a cameo. Yeah, but, but at mean, the same time, like we as we found out, Paul King like used to work with them back in the day. So I just like I'm getting my buddies, you know, to pop in my movie. Yeah, and, then, and it's probably not that different from you know, like Matt Lucas plays a small part, and there's yeah. there's a bunch of like uh, Jessica Hines is in it a little bit, and Justin Paddington too. Uh, they're just also just <laughs> small parts for actors, and you just happen to recognize them or not. Yeah, fun, nice little thing. It's a nice thing. Um, again. You might have noticed we didn't talk about Christmas a lot. I was hoping there would be a strong Christmas connection. Uh, the the best we, the best I have is that you know the origin story that the original Paddington was inspired by a Christmas present. Also, was, Paddington Paddington One has a snowball fight. Isn't there a the Christmas end. tree at the end of Paddington Two in the attic? They don't say it's Christmas, but <laughs> I'm pretty sounds, sure it's supposed to be. That sounds right. Like in Paddington's little area, there's like a there's a little. There's a little attic room. There's yeah, I mean, a little tree. It's, it's, there's definitely some snow in both of them. They they have winter yeah, vibes, winter even if they aren't overt Christmas movies. Also, lots of Christmas movies are about family, which these movies are mm-hmm. as well. So it works, I guess. Also, we've seen every real Christmas movie, so I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's as good as we're going to get for a, a Christmas-esque movie we haven't seen already. There you go. So um, for Arthur Christmas, <laughs> which also has Jim Broadbent. Guys, is Jim Broadbent the most British actor in the world? He doesn't play a British character in Paddington, but I just feel like he's got – he's in so many British franchises. Yeah, I feel like this is the first time I've seen him not be incredibly British in a movie. He's, he's well, still I was European. Just I was just kind of perusing his his Wikipedia, and I forgot that he did show up briefly in, in Game of Thrones. So Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, uh, the Paddington movies. He's in a lot of Mike Lee movies. Mike Lee movies. Um, he's in some Terry Gilliam movies. <laughs> Those are pretty British. God, he might be the, the most British actor, you guys. I'm just saying. Well... Congratulations to Jim Broadbent, the most British actor. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to find a time where he didn't play a British person. Now, he's in Cloud Atlas, so I'm going to assume he played, because everyone was doing all sorts of stuff in Cloud Atlas. So I'm going to assume he played some non-Americans in Cloud Atlas. Um, I'm not sure, because I didn't finish it. But he must. But aside Hugh from that, Grant man, also in Cloud Atlas? Hugh Grant is also in Cloud Atlas. He's pretty he British. Pretty, pretty crazy. Oh, def- Ooh, yeah, gosh. Uh, now I'm trying to think how many times I've seen Hugh Grant play non-British. I don't <laughs> even know if it's possible. You know what? I just saw Hugh Grant in the last movie I probably will have seen in theaters my entire life. The Gentleman. The Guy Ritchie film. <laughs> yeah, he's very British. I don't think that. he's ever played an American. I, I can't imagine. I'm I'm looking through it. It's just uh, Americans it's are so much more confident than Hugh Grant ever is. <laughs> I guess he's kind of confident in this movie, but he's like wily. 
I'm going to Google. Has Hugh Grant Does ever... Hugh Grant play an American in American Dreams <laughs> with a Z? I doubt I it, because so. it seems like he's supposed to be a, a Simon Cowell type, who who is also British. There's some article, Hugh Grant won't take on roles requiring an American accent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it I said he tried once for one movie, but it only gave me the character name, and obviously I don't know this character. I respect that. Um... Because the fact of the matter is, I I don't enjoy most British actors' American accents. <laughs> they always seem okay. Pretty we we got it now. We got to talk about who's who. Who are some of the great uh, British actors uh, who do great American accents? Damien Lewis. He's definitely uh, like pretty yeah. high on the list because for years I had no idea that he was British. And then once you know, it's like, oh my god, he looks so British. Like you can't unlearn it. You will never forget once you know that he's British, but he can fool you until you know. Yeah. Uh, and then definitely write like Benedict Cumberbatch, right, you guys? Um, oh yeah, he's great he's, at it. I love so it when bad. British actors do that. Just do the house voice. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I mean, I feel like Christian Bale's done pretty good for himself. Oh yeah. You know what's so funny? We never see his real accent. It will be I was just gonna shocked. Say, I was just going to say, Christian Bale's real voice sounds like a bad accent. Yeah. <laughs> like, because he barely ever does it, but he did it in, um, what was the racing movie that came out? Yeah. Ford v. Ferrari. Yeah, it sounded fake, and that's his real voice. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember Sean doing like his impression once. Like, oh, you drove the car, hey, vroom vroom, eh? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's what he talks like. That's what he does. Yep. He does great American accents. There you go. That's it. There's, there's a few. There's some good ones out there for sure. I'm gonna be reading about this the rest of the night, like trying to find really British actors who've attempted American accents. I feel like Michael Caine has tried to do it before. Oof. The funny thing is that I feel like to us Americans, it sounds like the Australian and English accents are fairly close to each other. Mm-hmm. But I, it must be Australian is closer to us because those fucking Australians can do American accents so goddamn well. That's true. Like half the people I think are American are actually Australian when I look it up. <laughs> I know. And most crazy. of them aren't trying to do British accents ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the reality is you can't escape that island without being able to do an American accent, but and also looking like one of the most gorgeous people on the face of the earth. But there's something there. We need to get some Americans in up in this joint that can do British accents. I haven't seen the Sherlock Holmes movies, but I'm hoping Robert Downey Jr. is okay at it. So I I was I was right where you were up until two months ago when I watched Doolittle and his accent was so <laughs> terrible oh, no! in that. It really makes me question how good those Sherlock movies are. Because he, mm. I mean, he's doing a different sort of British accent. Because I know, I know he explicitly didn't want to do his Sherlock accent again. But yeah. it's terrible. And it's entirely whispered the entire movie. <laughs> mm. It's alright. You don't have to be afraid. That's the whole goddamn movie. I should say Chaplin. He got an Oscar nomination for that. You would assume, you would assume it's a good accent. Unless he just doesn't talk a lot. He just doesn't talk. He just, he just sticks. He's, he goes silent the whole movie. 
Worked for the artist. <laughs> Classic. Classic movie we all still love and talk about all the time. <laughs> all the time. Here, here we are once again talking about the artist. Let's talk about um, goofs. Yeah, goofs. <laughs> you got any goofs, Sean? I do. I looked through them. There are some you know, practical ones. But I like to read this one of this person who is just straight up objecting to the way a scene is written. He just doesn't <laughs> like it. Okay. Phoenix seems to fall for Henry's home inspection ruse far too easily. In reality, he would have expected some prior notification of an inspection. <laughs> Plus, he shows no suspicion as to how the Browns got into his house in the first place, nor why they didn't attempt to contact at the door like any other visitors would. Duh. Sounds like this guy is not British, because he does not appreciate a good farce. <laughs> yeah, no. he's not on board the farce train. This guy sucks. <laughs> Alright, well, I'll uh, omit their username then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want him to end up like that critic we <laughs> mentioned earlier. Oh, uh, yeah. Fucking Smythe. What was it Cole? Cole Smythe? That sounds right. That piece of shit. I'm beating the meat just thinking about him. <laughs> what what meat exactly? <laughs> the hand meat. Oh, you know, I'm like punching my punching my hand with my fist okay. in a threatening way. That's like I'm gonna get him. Yeah. All right. That's acceptable. <laughs> this is a family podcast. Well, uh, yeah, but families, kids need to know about beating people up. That's that's true. You know, kids need to know beatings. about being the mate. Yeah. Both both kinds. They're both important. Kinds. They're going to they're gonna learn it here. Yeah. Kids also need to learn who they can trust and who <laughs> they can't trust. I'm, of course, talking about John's rogues gallery. God, I love being a bad guy. Guys, we got two <laughs> evildoers this week. From both Paddington movies. Let's first start with Paddington 1. We got Millicent Clyde. She is an evildoer. All right, here we go. Oh, and just for people that don't know what I'm talking about, this is where I go to villains.fandom.com slash wiki, some sort of fan-curated villains database, and I read the stats. So Millicent, Millicent Clyde, alias Millicent, origin Paddington, Occupation, head of the British Natural History Museum Taxidermy Department. Powers slash skills. Gunmanship. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Expertise in experimenting on animals. That's the saddest skill I've ever heard. (laughs) Stealth and speed. Whoa. Hobby. Stuffing animals. (laughs) And intimidating her henchmen and her enemies. Yeah, some people really get off on that. Uh, Goals. Kill Paddington in order to stuff him in the Natural History Museum to restore her father's former glory for herself. Failed. Yeah. And her crimes. Attempted murder. Boaching. Mm -hmm. Animal cruelty. Kidnapping. Trespassing. And vandalism. And for all that, she was assigned community service. Community Talk service. about a corrupt system. All you gotta <laughs> do is be white, right? Pretty much. What type of villain is Millicent, you guys? Do you want to throw a guess out? Ooh, she's a vengeful taxidermist. Ooh. Yeah, I, I got nothing. 
Millicent is an obsessed scientist. Okay. I don't know if I buy into that. But whatever. I can't argue with Phil's wiki. They just they know it's, everything. This 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 one's sort of based on a book, so it's a fringe case for us with our with our rule about writing quality. Yeah, I don't really know um I guess we none of us know how much they really took from the books. So I don't know if any of these characters have any like uh, are based on any characters from the books or anything. Yeah, who knows? I don't care. All right, next up, guys, we got Phoenix Buchanan. He is an evil doer, alias Buchanan. Origin Paddington Two. Occupation: Actor. Powers slash skills: Disguises, swordsmanship, and thievery. Yeah. Hobby. Talking to himself while acting out as different characters that he played. <laughs> now, it's established that it. these are characters that he's played in the past? I think so, because don't we see that other ones are like Macbeth and uh, you know other famous characters? He's got that like costume anyway. collection up in his attic. Wow. You know, I kind of, I kind of like that. Can you imagine if there's a famous actor who became a villain, and every time he did a crime, he'd play one of his characters, like, like if Jim Carrey went around dressed as the Mask, committing crimes, or Count Olaf, <laughs> whatever his name is, or Yes Man. By the way, cool. did you guys like that they referenced the same uh, thing from The Winter's Tale in both movies? Which is the famous uh, stage is? direction, exit pursued by a bear. Oh, I've heard that phrase, but I didn't know. I didn't know what that meant. Um, I know Kyle McLaughlin has a wine called Pursued by Bear. I now <laughs> I now know that's an acting thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's from Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale, and they find a way to reference that stage direction in both the movies. It's just too British for me, Sean. That's why I missed it. <laughs> but I like it. I like that a lot. Uh, Phoenix Buchanan's goals. Steal the pop-up book and frame Paddington for the crime. Temporarily succeeded. Yeah. Use nice. the pop-up book to find all of the fortunes around London in order, order to get rich and famous. Failed. And kill Paddington and the Brown family. Failed. Yeah. Things and, got dark at the end. And his crimes. Theft. Burglary. Animal cruelty, incrimination, and attempted murder. Mm-hmm. And the type of villain, you guys? For Phoenix Buchanan? Hmm. Uh, dastardly uh, thespian. I like thespian. I'm going to go with thieving thespian. I'm going to stick with alliteration. Uh, he's, a, he's, of course, a greedy thief. <laughs> greedy thief. <laughs> I like it when it really doesn't have anything to do with their actual character. Yeah. It's like, I guess he's a thief, but... I mean, that's too... I don't Aren't know, all thieves greedy? Sense. Yeah, that's that's terrible. That's, stu- that's stupid. Mm. They fucked up. But there you go. There's the villain's wiki for, uh, for some evil doers. Some bad dudes and dudettes. Wow. Well, thank you for that feature, John. And thank you, Colin, for being here. It's been a blast talking about Paddington 1 and 2. Uh, 
we're getting towards the end of this season of the pick. I think we're going to do one more episode uh, next week, um, and then uh, and then we'll move on into our top tens of the year, which is always fun to do. Should be an interesting year because everything related to 2020 is chaotic. Um, so you should uh, look for those uh, by subscribing to our podcast feed. Just look for Mildly Pleased on, uh, on Apple Music or whatever uh, you use. And also go to mildlypleased.com for the written up posts. They're going to be a lot more in depth. Uh, you can go there right now and start reading about Col- some of Colin's favorite uh, albums of the year. And uh, none of mine are John's. We like to <laughs> play close to the chest. <laughs> so many secrets. Secrets. Complete surprise in your guys' top tens. But I guess it'll be that way for pretty much all of our lists because we didn't review a lot of TV or movies on the blog either. Didn't see each other. Yeah. It's just whatever. We got through it. I think think we managed to not have this be our lowest post count year because. I don't know, Shocktober and Criterion Month usually keep that from happening. <laughs> so, that's why that's 62 posts right there. Yeah. I'll do it. Alright, so, uh, until the next time, have a happy holiday, or I'll see you next time, suckers. Dancing, Dancing. 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 Dancing.